good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 499-9526. And a 225 in front of that will get you to us from anywhere in the continental United States. That is correct. You just go ahead and give us a call. We really enjoy hearing from folks from out of town. We do. Get a different perspective on what goes on in different parts of the country. That's right. Of course, I enjoy hearing from folks in town as well. There you go. <laughs> as that is basically our bread and butter of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Keith, something occurs to you during the week, or you just don't want to be on the radio. Right. You can always visit your website and get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that is take the acronyms Altazan's Garage Company. That's right. There's a contact bar on every page of our website. They can get you to us with any question you have. That's right. Just go ahead and send me an email. And, you know, if you hadn't received a reply from me within 24 hours, then that means I either didn't get it for one reason or another, or sometimes the return address is not correct and I just can't reply to you. I know I got a nice email from a fella, George, out in San Jose, California this week, and he actually had a suggestion. He says, why don't you write an article on crank position sensors? Okay. So... Of course, I, I wanted to acknowledge that, yes, so that's a great idea, and I'm going to do it. And I sent it to him, and it just popped back because his return address was incorrect, so, unknown but, at that address. So I was not able to get a reply, but, right. of course, he says he listens every week. So, so he, he, know, he knows it's coming. That's right. <laughs> and write the detailed topic sections normally about three weeks to a month in advance. Uh-huh. I've always got three or four of them kind of in the in process yeah in the kettle so to speak there you go and so you won't anytime you make a request to me it'll only be three or four weeks before i actually get it done i put one on this morning on diagnosing vibrations and this is part one part two will be next week goes into how to determine what a vibration is how to go about finding vibrations in the car because that's one of the most annoying things that folks come across it really is especially if you've got something that no one else can find yeah and if you don't have a systematic approach for looking for it you can spend an inordinate amount of money oh most definitely because things that cause vibration get real expensive real quick well that and there's just so many things and without some sort of a method you're going to really really spend a whole bunch of money so you might want to read this article and get some insight there there you go there's also the vehicle questions which is a short to the point answer to a specific Pacific. question uh-huh. that's correct there's also the glossary which that's is right automotive terms that you might hear when you go to have your car fixed that's right and everything that's used on the site is added to that glossary where if you run across a term that you may not understand you can always go in and look it up something like tps uh-huh for throttle position sensor or something like that of course you got agconomics and framenstein and there you go tim <laughs> uh, all, all these kind of Smart Alec Little <laughs> comments that we use on the site all the time. Good, good, good site. I think you'll really enjoy it. Pop on there, see what you think. It's www.agcoauto.com. And I think you'll really enjoy it. We're going to our phone lines. We've got Fred online. Good morning, Fred. Hey, good morning, sir. How are you doing? Today? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Good, good. I've got a question about a 2010 Chrysler Town and Country van. Okay, sir. Yesterday, my wife went to leave to work. Mm-hmm. And when she said she got up on the interstate, it seemed like it wasn't shifting. Okay. Went up to high RPM. She came straight back home. I got in it to take it to sea, and mm-hmm. it ran fine. And so, uh, yeah, Fred. Most likely, what has occurred there is that the transmission is in what they call limp mode, and the word limp means it is to limp home. That is a one hundred percent totally computer controlled transmission. So, if there's any type of electrical issue in the car that confuses the computer for some reason or another, what it's going to do, it doesn't know what to do. So it's going to lock up in second gear. And the reason second gear, because you can still take off in second gear and you can get home, although, like you said, the RPM are going to rise real high and all that. Now, when you turn the car off and you turn it back on, it's going to reset. 
It's going to go back to its original state until that problem occurs again. And it may be a certain set of circumstances that bring it on. It may take a while to recur. You may have to drive a certain distance. You may have to have a full tank of gas. Who knows what things are going to be contributing to it. Now, the good news is on 2010, it's going to store a code in memory. And even though it's working okay now, all that information should be captured in a freeze frame. So are you still under warranty on it, Fred? We may be close, one yeah. way or the other. Well, check and see first. Give a call to the dealership. Give me your VIN number, and actually it's still covered under your warranty. And they can tell you when the car went into service and all that. If you're under warranty, take it back. If you're not under warranty, I wouldn't go back to a dealership because, you, yeah, I'm not going to go there. But <laughs> there's lots of other better alternatives. And what we do is just go in and retrieve the code. And from there, that'll tell you what system was affected. Now, you got to do some serious detective work to actually find the cause. The last thing in the world you want to do, Fred, is take it to anybody who says, oh, well, let's take transmission out and take it apart. Because most likely this is not going to be a transmission problem per se. It's going to be an external problem, internal. Most likely it's going to be an electrical problem on the outside. Some of the things I've seen cause this is something like a bad throttle position sensor, something like even a bad alternator. I've even seen something like a loose battery cable cause this kind of thing. Anything that causes that electrical system to become confused can do this. What you do not want to do is disconnect the battery at all. Because if you do, you're going to lose all the freeze frame data and all the information that the technician needs to fix that vehicle. If you disconnect the battery, so don't don't try to clean the cables or any of that stuff. You might just check them and see if they're loose. And if they're loose, tighten them up. But don't disconnect it because it wipes out the freeze frame. Well, now you've got nowhere to go until it occurs again, which may be two months from now. But whatever it is, it's not going to go away. It's just going to come back on an irregular basis. Now, if she can kind of recreate the things that she did, in other words, hey, I went to blah, 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 I drove about 15 miles at 70 miles an hour, and then it occurred, well, that's all helpful information because you have to know how to recreate it. Right. It was basically hop out the subdivision, pop up on the interstate, and, and before she got to Millerville, she turned it around and came home. Yeah, yeah. well, see, it's probably yeah. highway speed that's bringing it on then. And all that information is important to give to the technician so he's got more to go on. Now, a freeze frame is going to capture the speed you were driving when it happened and how long you'd been driving and all that. So you have a lot of information to work with. So that is one advantage to the later model cars. They do capture a lot more data than the old cars did. Right, right. Okay. But, and the only other thing I noticed that was odd mm-hmm. – um, the time to change oil signal yes, sir. was on, uh-huh. and she had written down when approximately it should be changed again. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. We had about 2,000 miles to go. Okay. And, you know, that was the only other thing I could see. You know, the oil was full, looked clean. Yeah, and see, none of that will affect this right. at all. Right. I didn't think so. But no, no, those all have their own systems. You know, that could pop on <laughs> a change oil light. It could pop on a maintenance-required light. In some conditions, it can even pop on a check engine light, but it's not ever going to affect the computer management system as it relates to transmission. That's going to be some garbage on the line. And see, that's a Class two serial data network, which means that the whole car is talking. There's probably about 35 computers on that car, right? and they're all communicating. And this could be a fault in any one of them or any connection between any one of them or any sensor's input to any one of them. And this is just the way it was programmed to turn... Right, it just to, to go, act this way. goes to limp mode because it doesn't know what to do. The other option would be to go to neutral, in which you couldn't get home, or right. lock in first, where you could take off, but you couldn't get any speed, or if it locked in fourth, you could get home, but you couldn't take off. So just their strategy is to lock it up in second gear yeah. when it's confused. I mean, the only other thing I could think of, if there were nothing wrong with it, is mm-hmm. that she accidentally bumped it to the side and knocked it into the well, manual mode. that is a possibility, and but certainly if it never occurs again, then we could yeah. say, yeah, maybe that was it. But chances are it's going to occur again. You might just take the car out, go through the same sequence of events that she went through, and see if you can get do it again. Okay. All righty. All right, sir. Thank you okay, very Fred, much. Okay, Fred. Thanks for calling, man. Have a great day. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye.
499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive fire, we'd love to have you. Okay, he says no. <laughs> All righty. So uh, one of those things that confuses folks a lot are the different strategies that cars have. And that's kind of sort of when the car takes over on its own. Uh-huh. And there are a number of sequences of events that can bring that on. One is the limp mode for the transmission. Another is an overheat strategy. Right. And that is when the car starts to overheat or thinks that it's starting to overheat. It's going to do some things. Right. It's going to start shutting cylinders down and trying mm-hmm. to cool itself off right. before it overheats and, and destroys something. Right. It may shut the air conditioner off. I had a lady who came in one time. She says, every time I drive from here to there, my air conditioner quits working. Uh-huh. And what it was, the car was overheating. And right. she just wasn't noticing the temperature gauge. But when the car starts to overheat, it's going to start shutting down non-essential systems, which it considers air conditioning non-essential. But apparently, that engineer wasn't raised wasn't, in South Louisiana. Exactly. But it shuts that down. Then the engine may start misfiring because it's shutting down cylinders trying to pump air through the right, engine. trying to cool it trying down. Trying to cool itself down. So there are a number of things like that, different strategies that a car can adopt to try to protect itself. Right. And when it occurs, if you're not used to it, it's sort of alarming. If it's the first time you've ever seen it. Hey, we're going back to our phone lines. Mark, good morning, Mark. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Good. I have a 01 Chevy Cavalier. Uh-huh. Last week had the oil changed in it locally. Uh-huh. And on the way home, my wife was driving, and the oil light came on. So she went back, and before she could get back, the oil light went off, stayed off. And yesterday, it came back on again. And the oil level is fine, and everything's fine with it. The engine's running great. Just can't figure out exactly what would have yeah, caused that. Yeah, Mark, gotta first off pay attention. Is it the oil pressure light or is it all life light? Because there's two different ones. One says change all soon, and one says something like oil pressure. It's a little picture of an oil can or something like that. You know which one it is? It's it's a picture of an oil can is what it is. Yeah, that's the oil pressure, right? Says, if the oil level is full, Mark, I would suspect that we probably got the oil pressure sender unit is going bad, and that's not an uncommon thing to go bad on those cars, particularly if you got higher mileage, you know, 100000 or so. It does. Yeah, it's not a very expensive part. It's just a little sender unit in the oil gallery that senses the oil pressure and then sends a signal to the light to turn it on when the pressure drops. Now, when it starts to go bad it may think that the pressure's low, even though it isn't. And, you know, it wasn't coming on before, but, again, everything's got to happen sometimes. It may just be a coincidence. It could also be that when they were doing the oil change, maybe they bumped it, maybe the wire's loose on or something like that, so it doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. I would go back to the oil change place and just tell them what's happened. And the best way to get something done there, Mark, is go back in a non-accusatory fashion because you don't have to eat any crow if it's not their fault so right. just go back hey guys you know ever since changed the oil i've noticed that this is happening i'm not saying it's related but would you mind taking a quick look and it could be the wire got bumped i mean that certainly can happen but most likely either the sensor's going bad or the wire's loose on it okay well i was just concerned about it. Uh, driving with the randomly coming on and going off at no particular a certain time yeah and that's just kind of the way they can do now you said the oil level was full I mean, the only other thing that could occur to me is if they put the wrong oil in it, that could possibly do that. You know, if they put a thinner oil than what goes in it, when it gets hot, it could thin out too much and bring the oil pressure down, especially if it was already a little bit low. But again, that takes 5W30, which is almost a universal oil nowadays. So I can see them. They mess up a lot, like on the Toyotas, they call for like a 0W20 or the Fords that call for 5W20. But GM is so standardized in this country, and particularly in this region, that – 5W30 is almost the universal all. Uh, if anything, they put that in the ones they shouldn't. But I really hadn't seen them not put that in the ones that should very often. You know, for one thing, it's one of the least expensive all. So 
they're probably not going to make that mistake. You know? Right. So that's an oil pressure sending? Or sender sensor. unit, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Well, either way, sending, sender. They may call it a switch. But if you say the word oil pressure, you, they're going to know what you're talking about. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much. All right, Mark. Thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526 the number. If you want to be part of the automotive fight, we'd love to have you. And we got Julius online. Good morning, Julius. Good morning. Yes, Good morning. Sir. I have a little problem with my 2002 Chevy Impala. Okay. I've had it in uh, the dealership to try to get something straightened out my front end. Uh-huh. It seems to wear the tires out. It took care of it. And I, when I, it worked for a good little while, but uh-huh. now it's like off and on. The steering wheel works perfectly sometimes. It doesn't shake at all. Mm-hmm. And other times, it vibrates so bad, it drives me crazy. Yeah, okay. Julia, see, you're making a mistake there that a lot of people make. And you got a bunch, bunch of background noise there. I have to put you on hold because I can't hear. Shaking is not ever going to be an alignment problem. Shaking is going to be a balance problem or something that's out of round or something like that. Alignment can do three things. It can pull to the right or left. It can make the steering wheel be off-center, or it can wear the tires. But it can't make the car shake. Now, if you go to my website, I just put an article on this week, and there'll be another one next week on vibration, how to diagnose vibration, and all that sort of thing. But what you got is you're either going to have something like a bad tire or a bent wheel or who knows. There's all kinds of things that can shake. But the thing is, vibration is not ever going to be an alignment problem. So they can line the front end perfectly, and it may just happen to line the front end, rotate tires at the same time, so you think it went away. Next time you rotate tires, you put that one back on the front, now start shaking again. So... I would suspect that something like that is going to be the problem. But sorry I had to cut you off. But I just couldn't hear what all the background noise. If that wasn't a complete answer, just go ahead and hit me with an email, and I'll be glad to try to help you out and point you a little bit further in that right direction. Hey, we're going to take a quick little break. Galen, hang on. You'll be straight up after this break. My way, take the highway. That's the best. Mike Rohn here with Baton Rouge's newest talk show, My Oh Mayan. Dedicated to helping people who thought the world would end December 21st, 2012. Caller, you're on the air. Mike, I'm up the creek. So, what did you do? I maxed out all my credit cards, sold my stocks, my house, and my boat so I could travel the world before the world ended. Kept my 85 Mustang, though. Well, one thing I can recommend is to take your car in for regular maintenance at Agco Automotive. By taking care of your car, you'll save money in the long run by not having to pay for huge repairs. And with the money you save, you can pay down some of that debt. If you want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's one other big problem. I sold all my vital organs on a website in Uzbekistan, and now someone named Aziz keeps showing up on my caller ID. Well, hmm. lay low, brother. Lay low. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, through tools to try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 499-9526, and that's what Galen did. Good morning, Galen. Good morning. How y'all this morning? Doing great, Good sir. Good morning. Good. I've got a question for you for on a 2005 Mercury Sable okay. uh, air conditioner problem. All right, sir. The air conditioner blower, the fan, yes, sir. you get in the car, crank it up. Mm-hmm. It might do okay for a minute, but then all of a sudden the fan's just blowing wide open. You can't control it. You can't, you know, turn it down manually mm-hmm. or any, anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now it's getting most of the time it just blows wide open. Yes, yeah, so that's automatic temperature control, Galen? 
Yes. Yeah, they have a lot of trouble with that control unit, which is the part you're looking at, little screen with the buttons and all that. That's called a control head. And okay. it's basically a computer that runs all the actuator motors and it runs the fan motor and all that. That's the only thing I can think of that could do that. And they have a lot of trouble also with the what they call the blower transistor, but that can make it jump to a low speed, but it can't make it jump to a high speed. Did you say it's a, a module? Or? It is a module, yes, sir. They call it the, the blower control head is what uh -huh. most of them are going to refer to it as. It's the actual part with a little display panel in it. And it's not much labor to change it. It's pretty easy. You know, less than an hour labor to change it and program it, but it's a very expensive part, five, $600 part. Uh-huh. But right. it, what it's going to do is probably the hottest day of August when you're mm -hmm. dressed in a three-piece suit <laughs> and a half hour late for an apartment apartment, that's when yeah. it's going to go out. <laughs> it's worth it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so I would probably get that looked at pretty quick. If it's happening all the time, they ought to be able to diagnose it pretty easily. And like I said, it's not hard to change. We change them out real easy. It's just kind of a pricey little part. Gotcha. So in other words, you don't have to go in and tear out the... No, sir, not at all. Fan or no, sir. There's a piece of trim that comes off, and it's just it's kind of sitting right there. Four or five screws, and it comes it's just out. the module that's expensive. Yes, sir. Now, a lot of those have to be reprogrammed, so it's not something you'd be able to do yourself, okay. most likely. And there's, you have to go in and program it to the car. But, you know, we can do it for you. Just about any good shop that has a proper tooling can do that. All right. All right. Well, you've been very helpful. Thank All right, Gail. Thanks, okay. man. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. We're going back to our lines with Mike. Good morning, Mike. Yes, sir. I've got a 96 C28. Okay. And it's got a, a lot of money into it. Uh huh. And uh, it's got a fresh motor. The motor's got about 10000 on it. And uh, with the LT1. Mm hmm. And it, it's starting to run hotter. I've got the low temperature thermostat in it. It, it used to run, you know, about 140, maybe 150. And yeah, now. That's way, way too cold, man. Right. That will destroy that engine. That engine's got to run up close to 190. That's, that's the thing. Now it does, but it's running even hotter than that. It's yeah. not overheating, but it's running. Most everything, the only thing stock is the bottom end, but it's all fresh. Yeah, you know, now it's it's running about one ninety to two hundred now, Mike. Yes, sir. But but I should put a real temperature gauge on it rather than the one in the dash. But it's running just on the verge of of in the red on the temperature gauge. So it's running probably about that's yeah, that's a lot hotter. That's two thirty right. ish or so. That engine, the LT one, is kind of a strange cooling system. It flows backwards from every other small block. Mm -hmm. So. There's a number of things. Mike, when you want to diagnose an overheating problem, the first thing you have to know is when does it overheat, and that's crucial. It overheats when I'm driving, but cools off when I'm sitting still. Okay, okay. here you go. Perfect. Mike, when it overheats sitting still, then you enter an airflow type issue, that kind of thing. When it overheats when you're driving and then cools down when you come to a stop, you've got a capacity issue. In other words, you're making more heat than the cooling system can get rid of. Mm -hmm. There's a few things that can do that. Number one, and I'm, this is not in any particular order, but number one would be something like a radiator that is partially plugged up. In other words, when you start generating more heat, it can't deal with it. So yeah. it's going to start overheating. You come to an idle, your heat load drops way down so it can keep up with it and it'll cool back down. A second one would be something like a thermostat that's partially stuck shut. In other words, it can flow enough water at an idle, but it can't flow enough when it's loaded up. The third one, and this is one you're not going to hear, but a blown or leaking head gasket or cracked cylinder head will do exactly the same thing. Oh, man, I hope not. Yeah, because at an idle, you're not going to have nearly as much heat load. When you start loading it up, the compression starts leaking out and gets into the cooler, and it'll just really go up pretty fast. Now, the LT1 is probably the only small block Chevrolet ever had a problem with that. When they reversed that cooling for whatever reason, they kind of screwed it up because, I mean, from 1955 to 1999, I can't say that I've changed three head gaskets on VA Chevrolets. 
the LT1 is the exception. We probably changed four dozen of those. So if the car's ever been overheated, it can definitely blow a head gasket like that. Or if a lot of other things can cause that, something like timing too far advanced can bring the cylinder head pressures too high. If you get the engine hopped up a bit with a cam and maybe some bigger pistons can definitely end up with those kinds of problems. But there are some tests you can run. I would have it checked for hydrocarbons in the coolant. If it comes mm-hmm. back positive for hydrocarbons, then the head's got to come off. Right. You, you, it, it still runs great. Like, right. Yeah, it's it will. Going to. It will. Yeah. yeah, it will. It has nothing to do with it. You know, people tell me that all the time. Well, it can't have a blown head gas because it's not water and all. Well, that's yeah. one thing that happens, but not the only thing. Or, well, it still runs good. Okay, fine. It can. But it can have a cracked head and still get mm-hmm. compression into the coolant and overheat, even though it runs fine. You know, that's not going to affect the way it runs. And now, my heads are poured in bottles. I don't mean to interrupt you, but uh, does that mean they would water jackets in them open up the water ports it could uh hold on one second i gotta take a quick little break but i'll get to you right after this break hang on okay 499-9526 is number you only part of the automotive fire we're gonna take a quick little break and be right back with more mike roan here with baton rouge's newest talk show my oh mayan dedicated to helping people who thought the world would end december 21st 2012 color you're on the air Mike, I really thought the world was going to end. So what did you do? You see, Mike, I quit work and streaked through the cafeteria. I maxed out my credit cards, my grass is waist high, and I can't find my dog. I think the line I bought might have eaten him. And my car won't run. Hmm. Well, first, take your car into Agco Automotive so it'll get fixed right the first time. Then, take it in for regular maintenance to save money in the long run by keeping your car in good shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. If you want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Well, Mike, there is one more thing. My neighbor DVRs C-SPAN, and I promised I'd spend Sunday afternoons watching it with him. Now... I wish the world really would end. Sorry, uh, can't help you there, buddy. Hey, welcome back. He's joins the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, just before the break, we're talking to Mike with his overheating LT1. Go again, Mike. What are you saying? I would assume, you probably know Mo. he's the one that did the hedge for the car. And it costs an awful lot of money, so I'm assuming he would open up the water jackets in the head. Yeah, it has nothing to do with it, Mike. Right. None of that has anything to do with it. What you need to do is, number one, get a known good gauge. And I would mm-hmm. not trust that factory gauge because it could just yep. be a gauge going bad, too. You know, Mo- mm-hmm. Not likely, but you got to rule that out first. Second thing, get a hydrocarbon test. Now, if it comes back from hydrocarbons, then it don't matter who did what or when. Right. It's irrelevant. Yeah. You know, you got hydrocarbons in the coolant, you could destroy the engine. But there's all kinds of things that can cause that. Like I said, well, if, if it's been running 150 degrees, that's way, way too cold for that engine. That in itself can cause pre-ignition, which can run your cylinder pressure sky high and can blow a head gasket. So mm-hmm. who did what when don't make any difference. We just got to find out what's wrong and fix it. So now, the answer is still the same. You need to get a hydrocarbon test done on it. Now, a negative test does not necessarily mean it's okay. A positive yeah. test means it's definitely bad. Right. But it can give a false negative, and it can still be blown and not show. So in that case, you have to do some more different tests, your more involved testing and stuff like that. And I'm not saying that's the problem. That's just one of the things. Yeah, Certainly, could be the worst that'd be, Yeah, probably the worst case. So, I mean, check and make sure that your radiator's not restricted. You can mm-hmm. do that with a infrared-type thermos. Shoot an inlet temperature and outlet temperature on your radiator and go over that whole radiator and see if you can find hot or cold spots in it. You know, that's one way our radiator shop can do that for you. Make sure your thermostat is opening fully. You know, that would be another thing that could cause it. Even in rare, rare instances, I've seen a water pump impeller come loose or something like that, but that would be kind of really, really grasping for straws. 
So I would probably look at those things. Go to my website, Mike, and just key in the word head gasket in the search mm-hmm. bar, and there's four or five real good articles on head gaskets make you understand a whole lot more about them. Okay. All righty? I appreciate it. Okay, man, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526. number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Fire, we'd love to have you. And we got Kevin online. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I have a 04 Chevrolet Suburban. Okay. That when the tank is low, when the fuel tank is low, Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily the light on, and I leave it set up for two days, maybe three days. Uh-huh. When I go to start it, it takes a while to start, like like it's losing a prime maybe in the line. Yeah, Kevin, that's a regular gas engine. Yeah. First thing I'm going to do is scold you. <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to let it get that low. That will definitely destroy a fuel pump. But that notwithstanding, chances are it's... Like you said, either the pump is draining back to the tank because it doesn't have enough head pressure on it. The pump may be just a little weak, and it's having to work just way too hard because it's running out of gas, basically. But I would never, ever, ever let that thing get below about a quarter of a tank. People running tanks low like that has made me a rich man. That destroys a fuel pump. Not only that, but if you got any contamination in your tank, which 90% of them do have some contamination, when it's low, the layer of contamination becomes a much larger percentage of the total available fuel. So you could get a lot of issues with that. Not only that, but that fuel in that tank helps keep that pump cool. That's right. Makes it run cool. So when the fuel is low, the temperature of the pump is hotter, makes it work harder. And And it doesn't have head pressure to give it an extra boost. So, yeah, I think the short answer would be, Quit doing that. Go ahead and fill it up. When it gets a quarter tank, just consider right. it empty and fill it up. Okay. The, the longer answer is most likely you're going to be into a fuel pump at some point in time. And that might be tomorrow. That might be two years from now. And right. one way you can kind of verify that is the next two or three days when you go to crank it back up, mm-hmm. instead of cranking it, just turn the key to the run position, turn it off, turn it back on, turn it off, turn it back on, wait about five or ten seconds between each cycle, mm-hmm. right. and then crank it. And see if it cranks right up. If it does, then you know you're into a fuel issue with it. Yeah, right. see, each time you cycle the ignition, the pump will run for one second. But it only runs for a second if it doesn't see the crank sensor turning. So each time you do that, you're basically priming the pump. And if that right. allows it to start easily, then, then we you know, know we're into a fuel pump problem. Right. Okay, then. I got I got one more thing. It just might be a long shot for you. Go ahead, man. When I started driving my Suburban, like, I mean, soon as I take off within the first five miles an hour or so, I hear like a knocking, and I'm kind of feeling it in the steering column. Yeah, that's I real common. Not, I, I do not hear that after I'm going down the road or anything. It's just when I very start, I'm hearing a knocking like something maybe is loose. I'm going to tell you, Kevin, the, the most common thing on a Suburban by wide, wide, wide measure is what they call the intermediate steering shaft. And, I mean, that is so common that I would say 90% of all Suburbans do it to one degree or another. It's a shaft that hooks from the base of the steering column to the steering gearbox, and it's got a slip joint in it because the box is on the frame and the column's on the body, and they move relative to each other. So what happens is that when you start to roll, the body starts to rock a little bit. That's got to plunge in and out, which is what it's supposed to do. But they get dry, and they start popping, and it's like pop, 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 and it feels like slacking the steering wheel, but it's not. You feel like the steering wheel's kind of wobbling. You'll feel it at real low speed, like maybe parking lot rolling four or five miles an hour is when you really feel it. Get up faster, you don't feel it, because it drones out. It's just too fast for you to feel anymore. But that is by far the most common thing. 
there is an updated shaft from GM to help solve that problem, and that works pretty well. Another thing you can do is you can just take the old shaft out, kind of stroke it up and down, put a little grease on it, put it back together, and that'll usually cure it for a while, but it'll eventually right. come back. And what usually happens is once the shaft binds up like that and starts causing a problem, it will take out the lower bushing in the bottom of the steering column. Yes, a plastic bushing. So what you have to do is actually compress that steering column just a bit after you change that shaft. And it gets 90% of them Yeah, well, we, do, we just take a two-inch muffler clamp, put it around the base of that steering column, and just tighten it up just a tad, and that'll squeeze that bushing down, take the slack out. I mean, alternatively, you we've, can change it, but you got to take the column out, right. and you know, you, you're making a mountain out of a molehill doing that. We've changed shafts before, and I had to uh, put the clamps on them to, to get them to quiet to down it. because the shaft beat the, the bushing yeah, out Yeah, if you go it. on my website, Kevin, just go to the search bar and type in the word clunk, just C-L-U-N-K, and it's going to bring up an article, show you pictures and everything. All right, then. Hey, where are right. you calling from, Kevin? I'm calling from Pangoville. All right. <laughs> well, good deal. We appreciate it, man. All right, later. Thank Thanks. you. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I, we would love to have you. Why don't you go and give us a call? That's a very common, common issue on the Silverado, the Sierra, the Suburban, the Tahoe. Pretty much anything GM built. Right. Even in that see era. it on the Impalas and Malibus and all that to a right. lesser degree. Even the smaller cars, the Cavaliers, the Cobalt. Right. Well, you see it less there because that's a unit body car. Uh huh. And so you don't have as much flex in the body as you have on With your frame. With a full frame. Right. Because uh, your body is sitting on rubber cushions on a steel frame. So they have they move individually from mm-hmm. each other. And you, you have to have some kind of slip joint there to take up the slack. Yeah, that's so right. So the shaft they built, they've been building this shaft since 1999. And I, when they changed the body style, I think it was 99. Nine, yeah, yeah, 98, that, that's 99. That's when that came in, that clunk, clunk, clunk. They've been building it ever since and had trouble with it ever since. Yeah, I think they revised it about three times. Looked like the latest revision may have solved the problem. Ford Taurus used to have that same issue way back in the 80s, but uh-huh. uh, not to nearly the same degree. But right. I can remember doing those way, way back uh, in the 1980s. We had that pop, pop, popping noise. It was the same and you usually hear it when you're rolling slow in the parking mm-hmm. lot with a little bit of pressure on the steering right. wheel. Just a it just sounds hand just, pressure. It sounds like a loose shock. Don't, well, do, it don't, does. Don't, don't, and some it. people think it's slack in the steering. Right, because but you can actually feel it in the steering wheel. You can wheel. feel the steering wheel kind of rocking in your hand, right. uh, but not. It's actually this intermediate steering shaft. And it's a fairly easy fix. I don't know. What's it, about an hour job to change? Depending on the vehicle. Yeah. Cars are harder the than the trucks. The cars are a little tougher to do, but the trucks are fairly easy. Mm-hmm. Not too much labor involved. That's right. We've put the new ones in and have had pretty good success. At least we've never had any come back after we've changed them out. Right. Their, their first fix was to grease it. They came out with a kit and a special grease to yeah. put in it. And, and that you just take them out and really repack them and put them together. And they'd last six, seven months maybe. And then they would quit working again. They'd start making noise. That's right. That just didn't really work out very well at all. Hey, going back to our Richard, good morning, Richard. Good morning. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Quick question. My wife has a 2006 Honda CRV. Mm-hmm. We've never had radiator flushed out. Okay. Or coolant put in. Do you think we've done any damage? Six or seven years? Yeah, probably have. Some. Whether it's agree. not irreversible, I mean, the damage is, but you can head off for the damage by going ahead and doing it now. And that has to be done properly, Richard. Coolant. I guess outside blue sky estimate is about five years. That's what Honda claims, and I think that's really overrated. But don't ever go past that. Now, have you done damage? Yeah, because the pH is going to be low. It's becoming acidic. It's attacking the aluminum in the system. Is it an insurmountable problem right now? Probably not. If you let it go until it blows a head gasket or until the radiator goes out or something, then yeah, probably so. I mean, you can literally total the car with that. So I would definitely get it in, get that changed. You need someone who knows what they're doing because it may sound like a simple service, but it's not really simple at all. 
you have to drain the radiator and drain the engine block, and you have to use distilled water. Now, you said it's 2006. Right. That actually it's takes a special blue. pre-mixed blue coolant, so you don't have right. to worry about distilled water. It's a uh, Honda Type 2. Yeah, Honda Type 2 blue coolant. It's already mixed, so you have to dump that in. It makes it a little bit easier. But, yeah, I would get that done very, very soon. Right. Well, I certainly appreciate All it. All right, Richard. All right, sir. Thank you. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526. A number of you want to be part of the automotive hour. We're going to try Rory again. Good morning, Rory. Hey, good morning. How are y'all? I'm great, good sir. Good morning. The question I have is I have a 1998 Nissan Maxima, uh-huh. and what I've been experiencing lately with my fan blower for the air conditioning yes, sir. is whenever I get in a car and go to start it, mm-hmm. everything starts up fine except my fan blower won't blow, Okay. and all the knobs and switch, uh, switches are all on, mm-hmm. and I'll drive for a little bit, then it'll come on, and it'll never go off once it's on, but it's always hit and miss when I start the car. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, Rory, there is actually a little part in there called a blower transistor, and that is the part, it's a little electronic relay type thing that makes the speeds. Yes. And it's almost always going to be in that area. I mean, it's possible a bad blower motor could do it as well, but that would be a lot rarer occurrence. What I would do, to, you're pretty handy, Rory. Yeah, actually, I do a lot of work on my car myself. Yeah, what you need to do, get a voltmeter. And uh-huh. n- next time you get ready to start up, take your voltmeter and hook one lead to ground and go to the lead that goes onto the blower motor and yeah. back probe that lead. So you know, when you back probe it, you can get the voltage while it's still hooked up. Okay. Turn your switch on to start the car and see if you got voltage at the blower motor. Now, if you got 12 volts at the motor and it's not coming on, then we're into a blower motor. More likely, there won't be any voltage there, in which case you back into the transistor. So that's just kind of a cheap, easy way you can determine which one it is. Okay. All righty. Appreciate it. Hey, man, right, thank sir. you. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right, 499-9526. number, if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Steve online. Good morning, Steve. Hey, guys. How's it going? Doing great, Good morning. Hey, Lewis, I've got a 96 Buick Century, uh-huh. and, man, it's so frustrating. When I turn the windshield wipers on and I go to turn them off, they just they, they keep running. I actually, I actually have to shut the engine off yes, to get them to shut mm-hmm. off. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. Steve, that is almost always going to be inside the wiper motor. There's a part in there called a park cam. Uh And what a park cam is, it's a little mechanical cam that turns. And the reason it's in there, Steve, is because if you turn them off with wipers halfway across your windshield, you want them to go all the way down and park. Yeah. So this retains power. It overrides the switch and retains power until the wiper gets to the lower position. Now, if that park cam switch goes bad... The wiper comes all the way down, but it doesn't see it down, so it just goes to the next cycle and comes back up, and it just runs on and on and on and on and on. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people change wiper switches for that. Keep changing the wiper switch, and that's not ever going to be the problem. Almost every time, that's going to be it. And it's a pretty simple test. If you want to bring it into a shop, they could test that for you, verify it. If you just want a shot in the dark, I would say change the wiper motor, but I'd say probably 90% chance that's going to fix it. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, well. Switch is non-replaceable. You can't change just the switch. It's inside the motor. Oh, okay. Okay. Okay, well. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Don't sound like that's what you wanted to hear. Or you can live with it, you know, either way. It's not hurt other than that. Go to our website and just type in the word windshield wiper in the search bar, and it's going to bring up an article and show you exactly how it works and give you a lot better understanding. It even shows your wiring diagram. Oh, okay. Okay. Alrighty. Okay, thanks. Okay, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Going back to our phone lines, we've got Colin online. Good morning, Colin. Sir, thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I heard you talking about the distilled water. I just had water change in a F one fifty 
Ford in 2010. They told me it didn't make any difference. Oh, Lord. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, tell them to talk to Ford about that. Yeah. <laughs> That's critical, Colin. And you want to make sure they put the right coolant as well because usually anybody tells you how to put the wrong coolant in there, they probably put the green stuff. That takes a yellow coolant, which is called VC7B, which is a motorcraft coolant. So go out there when it's cold and take the cap off, look inside, see if you got yellow coolant in it. If you don't have yellow coolant, man, you need to get that you may have to, to draw, somebody else. You have to, you may have, to draw a little, you may have to draw a little bit of it out so you can see it like in a clear tube or something. Mm-hmm. Because if you look into the radiator, the yellow coolant and water kind of look the same once they're inside the radiator. You can yes. uh, wait. That one's got an uh, overflow cap, the gas bottle on the driver's side, right. I believe. You can take the cap off. You should be able to look into that one and see if it's yellow or green. Yeah. See, city water, Colin, has a lot of things in it that you don't want in the cooling system. I mean, it's got chlorine. It's got fluoride. It's got silicates in it. It's got all kind of minerals in it. And every one of those will attack the aluminum. See, that engine's got a pile of aluminum components in it. The radiator, the heater core, and an intake manifold, the cylinder heads, all aluminum. Aluminum's a highly reactive metal. And so when you start sticking city water in there, you're setting up a corrosion problem that's going to really eat you alive down the road. So if it's yellow, leave it or just change it? No, I would change it anyway if they put regular water in it. If it's not yellow, then you got a double problem. And you need to to get all of it out. Yeah, every bit of it. Engine block and radiator. Okay, sir. I sure appreciate you. All right. Where are you calling from, Colin? Dental Springs. Okay. Good deal. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. 499-9526. Number, if you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. That's something we hadn't talked about recently, I Uh guess, in the last several shows, is the use of distilled water in a radiator. Versus city water. City water, yeah. Right. And I've seen some cars actually have a decal under the hood now with a picture of a little faucet with a circle around an Uh X through it. Exactly. Back in the day when engines were cast iron and cylinder heads were cast iron and radiators were copper, it probably wasn't good then, but it was not as harmful. Right. It didn't have as many metals to attack. Yeah. Now you've got dissimilar metals. You've got a lot of aluminum. Aluminum is highly reactive metal. So if you get a corrosive liquid and some heat in a highly reactive metal. And some air. Yeah. A little bit of oxygen. Now you've got a battery. That's it. And what it's doing is it's taking parts of the cooling system, turning them into an anode, other parts turning them into a cathode, and it's going to dissolve your entire cooling system. Right. I mean, I've seen the impeller on a water pump eaten completely away. Sure, that's the part that it attacked first. Yeah. It attacked the Cil- whole system, but that's... Cylinder heads eaten away. That was just the weak right. spot. On a Ford truck, probably the first thing you go see is the heater core is going to go out. Yeah, they're, they're pretty thin. And that's going to involve having to pull the entire dash out of truck. And that's so, something you don't want to do twice. No, you don't even want to do it once <laughs> because you're probably talking twelve, fourteen hundred dollars $1,400 repair because oh, exactly. some jug head stuck the wrong coolant in it. That's <laughs> it. Let's go back to our phone lines with Pat. Good morning, Pat. Hey, good morning. Yes, good sir. morning. Hey, I got a 2003 Dodge Hemi. Okay. And when I come to a stop, when it's really cold, mm-hmm. it kills. Okay. Have you ever heard of that problem? I've seen it on a number of different cars. Pat, I can't say it's any more prevalent on that one than any other. I would say the first thing I would want to check, do you ever get a check engine light at all? Yes. Okay, first thing you want to do is go check your check engine light, see what that is. The com- most common thing on a Dodge when that occurs is the throttle position sensor is bad. And the throttle position sensor has to set itself to zero every time you start the car. If it gets off range for some reason, it's not going to know where it idles. And it will only occur every once in a while. But what will happen is that when it comes to an idle, it's just going to lose speed and it's going to drop out. A couple of other things that can do it, something like a dirty throttle body or an idle control valve. But I would check the throttle position sensor first. Check the check engine light and see what that is. That will give you a good insight. Okay. Have you ever heard of it happening only when it's freezing cold? Yes, like sir. It yes, sir. Right. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it just has to idle higher whenever it's cold than it would any other time. Oh, I got you. All righty. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 
All right, one more quick little break. Be right back with the Automotive Hour. Mike Rohn here with Baton Rouge's newest talk show, My Oh Mayan, dedicated to helping people who thought the world would end December 21st, 2012. We have an anonymous caller here from the D.C. area. You're on the air. Uh, yes, Mike. I have some serious debt issues. Okay. Let's say I'm in charge of this really big company, and we have this deficit. You know, I thought with the world ending, we'd be okay, but that didn't happen, and I need some cash. I maxed out all my credit cards, but that barely made a dent. Well, sounds like you need to be on a strict budget, and the first thing I tell you is to make sure you're not wasting money on big-time car repairs. Regular preventative maintenance with Agco Automotive is the key to saving money in the long run and a good way to pay off debt. If you want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Any other advice? You should look into selling your house and downsizing. I don't think I'm allowed to do that. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Once go ahead and give us a call. It's 499-9526. Coach, outside of our calling area. You can always use a 225 in front of that number. That will get you here. And should you happen not to want to call or maybe think of something after the show goes That's off right. the air today, you can get your questions answered at our website. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. You can use the acronyms Altazan's Garage Company and That's get right. you to our site. There's oh, a, a good company. A good company. <laughs> okay, I can go with that. Either way. There's a contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night. That's right. And if you click on podcast, you're going to see a little stopwatch over to your left-hand side, and it says time remaining to the automotive hour or something like that. It's a countdown. Uh-huh. And it starts out right after the show goes off the air. It's six days and 24 hours. Anyway, it counts down, and when it gets down to one hour, if you will click on that little stopwatch, it will bring you to a live feed of the show. So if you're out of town, out of state, out of the country, uh-huh. you can actually click on that. It will bring you to a live feed, which is courtesy of iHeartRadio. That's great. And that way you can actually listen in live. And if you want to call in, you can do that so you can help kind of participate in the show. That'll work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we always like when folks do that. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, Aaron call us from St. Joseph, Minnesota. And, of course, Aaron wore a T-shirt that uh, week, so he emailed the other day and sent me a nice little pamphlet. I didn't realize it was a car that was actually built in St. Joseph, Minnesota. Really? They called a PAN. Okay. P-A-N. Never uh, heard of it. Yeah, it's just one of those cars. It was a good car and all, but had a little bit of shenanigans about the investors and one thing or another. Okay. Ended up going under. Could have probably been, might be like a Chevrolet or Ford today. You know? Yeah, we talking uh, 1919? 1919, that's wow. correct. And anyway, he uh, asked how he could upload a photo of himself with this Agco T-shirt on, and right. the way the easiest way to do that, if you're registered on the site, you have to be registered because I have to make sure you're a real person and not Correct. a spam bot. But if you're registered on the site, just log in. When you go to the client testimonial section, if you click on any picture in the upper corner, you'll see upload an image, uh-huh. and you click on that and let you upload the images. And that registration is free. Doesn't it's cost free. you a thing in the world. Doesn't take any time at all. You can actually log on with your Facebook or your Google or your Yahoo or your Windows Live password as well. You don't uh-huh. have to make up another one. Just go to social log. In, you can log in any of those, but if you log in, you'll get that option. If you're not logged in, it won't appear to you. So, right. But that's the way you can actually send an image to me, and I really appreciate it when you do that. And we will get those put on the site. That's right. And we're going back to our phone lines with Larry. Good morning, Larry. Hi. Yes, I sir. Have a 2007 Chevy Duramax truck. Okay. And I was wondering on that information center, 
where it gives you the percentage of your oil before you need an oil change. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Are those things accurate? Because I generally change my oil about every 5,000 miles. Yeah, Larry, those things are notoriously inaccurate. I've got one on my truck, and I change my oil every 3,000 miles because I do a lot of short trips. But I don't reset it, and I just watch it. And that thing doesn't come on to almost 10,000 miles. I know. And I'm doing little short trips. My longest trip is probably three miles, which is ludicrous. So, yeah, I wouldn't pay much attention to that. Larry, the best way to change your oil, if you go to my website and just type in change oil, it'll take you to an article. And see, miles are really not a reliable indicator. I know we've used it for years and years and years, but miles are inaccurate for oil changes. For instance, if I get in my car and I drive from here to New York, I probably put 3,000 miles in my car, but my oil looks like brand new. Because it's been operating at highway speed, it's not hurt at all. And if I do that five times, you know, I've got who knows how many miles, but my oil's still good. But now, if you're like me, and you get in the car, you go three miles, you shut it off, it sits there half a day, you turn it back on, you go three miles home, man, at 3,000 miles, that oil's totally contaminated and breaking down. All right, that is severe service. Severe service. So just going by miles without considering the way you drive is sort of irresponsible. It's going to lead you down the wrong road. So go in there and read that article, and that's going to tell you a better way to change oil. And those indicators are notoriously inaccurate. you got to remember, the guy who programs that thing is in the business selling new cars. What about, is it worth it for me to use synthetic over regular oil? Or is that covered in the article also? Well, it goes into synthetic, and all synthetic is not going to last any longer, Larry. That's a misconception. Synthetic will give you better protection. Synthetic has a lot of benefits. But synthetic oil is a much better cleaner than regular oil. So it gets dirty faster than regular oil does. I would right. not ever, ever go with a synthetic with the thought that it was going to make me go longer. If I want to use synthetic okay. for a number of reasons, that's great. If the car calls for it, that's great. But I wouldn't go in for that reason. What I would prefer to see you do is use a conventional oil and change it more often. And, of course, on that one, I think that's going to take 15W40 anyway, something right. like D-Lo or Tala. Rotella or whatever yeah. you use in it. Yeah, as long as you got that in there, you're going to be good. And it holds, I don't know, what, 8, 10 quarts of oil? Yeah, it holds a lot yeah. of oil anyway. So, But, yeah, I would go in there, get a good understanding of conditions, determine what your driving conditions are, and change your oil based on that. Forget about that oil life monitor. That thing, just it's going to lead you wrong, man. Okay, that's what I have been ignoring it. But mm-hmm. with the cost of everything going up, I was wondering, well, I wonder if I can start going by it. Well, and see, <laughs> that's kind of false economy because what happens, you save a few dollars on oil changes, but then you have to change the rear main seal. Okay. And that diesel is probably a $1,000 deal because you got oil pouring out because the seal's gotten hard because all the plasticizers and all that keep the seals pliable have gone away. You know, it's not going to burn up the engine. The oil will still be lubricating, but all the things that oil does, like cleaning and protecting and anti-foam agents and all that, go away. And you'll never save enough money doing that no. to pay for the first repair. No, not ever. I mean, even something like an oil pan gas can start leaking. It's, it's right. a fortune on that vehicle. Right. I know. All right. Thank okay, you very man. much. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, I tell you, we are just out of time. Yeah, That's it. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to iTunes, and give us a written rating. Yeah, we really appreciate it when you do that. That moves us up in ratings and also makes our day. That's it. Makes hey. us easier to find. <laughs> it makes it easier to get along with, too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.